Uh, Meredith, I just got an email from a producer for the Dan Patrick show. And he's asking if the senator would record himself saying Mazel Tov for a video for his son's bar mitzvah. And, well, is that a thing? That was a question my now husband Josh asked me in 2015 after receiving what he thought to be an unusual media request from a staffer for one of the biggest sports talk shows in the country. Back then, Josh was the communications director for Senator Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut and also, incidentally, had never been to a bar bat mitzvah. Before he did anything else, he wanted to consult his resident expert on Judaism, me. In order to answer his question, I drew from my own experience at a different bar mitzvah, one I had attended 15 years earlier, in the year 2000. If you've been to a bar bat mitzvah, you know the part of the party when a big screen gets rolled out and a video montage of baby photos of the 13-year-old starts playing, almost always set to In My Life by the Beatles. There are places I remember. But at this bar mitzvah, when the screen was rolled out, the theme to Inside the NBA on TNT blasted through the speakers. Something amazing followed. A mock halftime show, led by Ernie Johnson Jr., alongside the Inside the NBA crew. Instead of analyzing a real NBA game and actual NBA players, they bantered about the bar mitzvah boys' basketball skills. It was unlike anything I had ever seen. But there we were, a group of 12 and 13-year-olds, sitting on the floor of some venue in the Chicago suburbs, watching this brief television program from an alternate universe, in which a Jewish kid who loved basketball was at the center. Flash forward to 2015. With this memory in mind, I told Josh the request from the Dan Patrick producer was legit. Senator Blumenthal did end up filming a Mazel Tov message from a snowbank on the side of the road somewhere in Connecticut. To be honest, it was a bit surreal, but it's definitely a thing. Jews send similar bar mitzvah requests to people in politics, Hollywood, and most importantly for us, sports. I'm Meredith Shiner, and this is The Franchise, Jews, Sports, and America. Today is the day this podcast becomes an adult. Welcome to the Bar and Bat Mitzvah episode. In this episode, we'll hear from parents and their now adult children about their memories of their Bar and Bat Mitzvahs, and from a rabbi about why these connections between sports and faith can help bring meaning to both. We'll hear about that one time Sandy Koufax showed up to a D.C. area synagogue for a bat mitzvah. Because under the rules of this show, if we haven't talked about Sandy Koufax, we don't have a complete episode. And we'll even hear from longtime sports broadcaster Ernie Johnson Jr. himself about why and how he records mazel messages in conversation with the person whose bar mitzvah I attended 22 years ago. Our discussion will reveal why that special episode of Inside the NBA seen by an infinitesimal fraction of the show's typical TV viewership, has meaning 
that endures for both men. Jews do not have to go pro in sports to love them. And nothing demonstrates that amateur love more than dedicating a whole life cycle event to it. Bar and bat mitzvahs are central to the idea of everlasting Jewish pride. The traditions we fight to practice and maintain, even in times of stress and danger. They are also a window into who we are as American Jews at any given time. A window through which others who are not Jewish can view us and understand us and be in community with us. And I'm not sure there's ever been a more important time, at least in my lifetime, for that act of community to take center stage. And the community of sports? That's just built in. So let's start with the duo that inspired this whole episode. I talked to Todd Fritz, who's still at The Dan Patrick Show, now as an executive producer, and Jordan Fritz, a junior at Syracuse majoring in sports business and minoring in sports analytics. Todd was the person who emailed my husband back in 2015. And because time is unkind to all of us, his bar mitzvah boy son Jordan is now close to graduating college and the only person interviewed for this podcast live from a fraternity house. I'll let Jordan confirm in his own words the outrageous premise of this whole conversation, which is that in 2015, Senator Richard Blumenthal recorded a Mazel Tov video for him, one that ended up spliced between an NFL cheerleading squad and an NFL Hall of Fame running back in a 23-minute long sizzle reel. Eli Manning here. Just want to congratulate you on your bar mitzvah. I hope you really get to enjoy the evening and uh, welcome to your manhood. Jordan, what's going on? It's J.J. Watt. Hey, Jordan. It's U.S. Olympic swimmer Michael Phelps. Jordan, what's up, man? It's KD. Play for the Oklahoma City Thunder. It's Robert Griffin III, quarterback of the Washington Redskins. I really just wanted to take the time and congratulate you on your bar mitzvah, buddy. You're really starting to become a man. Mazel tov. Hi, Jordan. It's the Denver Broncos cheerleaders. Congratulations on your bar mitzvah. Mazel Hey, Jordan. Shalom, brother. Just want to congratulate <laughs> you on your bar mitzvah. You're a man now. So proud of you. Baruch Hashem. Lashana Tova. Congratulations, buddy. It kind of got better as it went on. That's, of course, Jordan, the 2015 bar mitzvah boy. I think they structured it in a way that I would get increasingly excited by each like star. So Dick Blumenthal was first? Blumenthal was, I think he was sandwiched between, he definitely stood out. He was literally, as you said, he was in a snowbank in a construction site. He had like a big crane behind him. <laughs> and it was like, it was like the Denver Broncos cheerleaders and then wedged in the middle, Senator Blumenthal. And then after that, Barry Sanders. Amazing. I love it. If I had to pick a top three, I would definitely go Magic Johnson, Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant actually did it. He, he said a funny thing. He was like, I don't know if you know me. I'm Kevin Durant. I play small forward for the Thunder. I was like, of course I know who Kevin Durant is. Like, come on. And then I think Dwayne Wade did it on the team plane. And then Chris Anderson, Birdman, was in the background as a little cameo. So that was really cool just to see that raw environment of, like, the team. Like, because they're taking time out of their busy days. Like, he's literally on the team plane with the whole Miami Heat doing a bar mitzvah video for me. Like, it's just crazy to even wrap my head around. And here's Todd explaining this idea he had for Jordan's bar mitzvah and how it came to life. 
What would make it even more special beyond just pictures of the family and Jordan growing up and just that kind of stuff that you would normally see at a bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah? All his friends are going to be sitting there on the floor, you know, and this is like a big moment. What else can I do to jazz it up a little bit? I just, you know, put, put a little note together saying and not expecting much, but next thing I know, they're flying in and, you know, I'll get these emails and I call my wife over and is this really, you know, Cal Ripken Jr. or Magic Johnson and you name them. There was about close to 50 different uh, sports figures. So Adam Sandler, Will Ferrell. It was just wild how over those several months, so many of them were willing out of the kindness of their heart, you know, record a little something that we can kind of put together with all these family pictures. And his friends were screaming and yelling and freaking out as all these different sports figures and celebs were popping on the screen, wishing Jordan. And they're looking at Jordan like, you know these people? Like, that was the funniest <laughs> thing. It's like, how do they know you? And I just thought that was awesome. The kindness and good-naturedness of these uh, different people that are so used to every little thing they do getting paid all kinds of money for. And they did that just as a, a favor to me and to make Jordan's uh, night extra special. It sort of feels like Todd and other Jewish parents like him, who did these projects for their kids' B'nai Mitzvot, accidentally invented what we now know as Cameo. You know, that online platform where you pay celebrities to record and send brief messages of your choosing. Except in this not-so-distant before times, there wasn't an exchange of money for the ask. Just the famous people saying yes to send a brief message to a 13-year-old kid because his dad, whose job was to book guests to talk to Dan Patrick, decided to ask about this other personal project. To this day, even Todd is still surprised with the results he got just for asking. And I don't even know when, you know, some of those, the cameo and some of those things even started. I really appreciated those, which was pretty much everybody. They weren't like reading an index card. They weren't like kind of doing it like half, just, you know, like just to check a box. They genuinely, you know, wanted it to be special. And I just thought that was great. They were smiling. Kobe Bryant did something and Magic said something to the effect of, uh, you know, hold on to some of that money that you're getting for your bar mitzvah and make sure you give some to Magic. I hope everything turns out very, very well. You're partying, you're getting a lot of money and gifts. Man, hey, look, if you need a, a, a new friend, you can get some of that money and gifts to Magic, right? Okay? Because I'm your boy. Said, so, send some of that money to Magic. <laughs> Did you? I wanted to. I, want, I wanted to send him 18, because 18 is chai. It's a Jewish lucky number. I wanted to send him a little eight, interval of 18, you know, that the message was received. But I don't think we ever got to it. The thing about Todd and Jordan's story is that at first blush, you might think it's an insular sports story. Like, oh, a dad who works in sports did this cool sports thing for his son, who still talks about how it was one of the best moments of his life. But it's actually not that. It's a story that shows how a bar mitzvah can serve as two distinct but important bridges, one between generations and the other between people of different faiths. The truth about bar and bat mitzvahs is that so much of their significance to American culture is derived from the fact that they are often performed in front of an audience. When you're a 13-year-old kid in middle school, at least if your experience is anything like mine, life is awkward. Everything you do feels like it could be a source of embarrassment in front of your very fickle peers. In this sense, going through the rituals of a bar or bat mitzvah can be fraught, especially for kids who grew up in communities where there are not a lot of Jews, where this day can be a stark demonstration of difference from your classmates. But Jordan shared something that touches on why sports bar mitzvahs are so prevalent and so important. 
He remembers this day as the exact opposite of fraught. The video of famous sports stars? That was just one piece of the story, an entry point. The real story is about connection. I remember when my dad first showed me that video, like I was waiting, I was like, who's the next name he's gonna say that's also Jewish? Like, he didn't throw Sandy Koufax in there, but I remember reading a Sandy Koufax book with my whole Jewish elementary or Jewish kindergarten and just wanting to know as a kindergartner, like what are the Jews in sports? Like, what is their role? And like, obviously like I come from a predominantly Christian suburban town in Connecticut, but like it was cool to have those like resources to kind of grow and expand and like show my friends and engage them in my religion. Like they were all sitting for 30 minutes fully engaged in Judaica and Jewish culture. Just the fact that I was able to like share my culture with my non-Jewish friends, I thought that was really cool to do it with sports, you know? Just even little basic things mean a lot, like coming to the synagogue, not just coming to the party, coming to the service and hearing him read the Haftorah. They obviously don't understand what he's reading or why we're standing or sitting or what that means or the Torah and why is this one holding up this? Wearing the yarmulkes and they're- They were all wearing yarmulkes. They were like all in on the experience. And I think that's pretty, pretty terrific. And be respectful for a three hour service. Yes. And that was just like the fact that they were all like, like, it was all eyes on me. Like it's a lot of pressure. And the fact that they were able to like understand that and like like work with me a little bit it was it was awesome it was still it's seven years later and it's still one of the best moments of my life i wouldn't change anything for it talked to Turner Sports Broadcasting icon Ernie Johnson Jr. for a story we'll get to later in this episode. But I just had to interject here with something he told me that so perfectly captured what Jordan just described when he talked about how his non-Jewish friends experienced his own ceremony. Ernie Johnson is not Jewish, but he did recently attend his first ever bar mitzvah. Man, it was my wife and I sat there and it was so moving. We sat and watched, and I was I was moved by the solemnity of the time, by the the way that his parents, maybe you call it pride. There was just a look of of such delight and pride in that he had put in so much work and was now up here in front of this congregation and was just perfect. And it was like I look, I've seen this kid since he was an infant. And I said, and listen, now look at him and listen to his voice. I was just moved by, by how it, it was kind of, it was an awe-inspiring time. I remember tearing up. You know, I can't wait for the next time somebody says, hey, you got another bar mitzvah video in you. Sure we do, because I know how meaningful that day was. Remember Dave and Emily Kaplan from our Professional Promised Lands episode? Emily is the current NHL reporter for ESPN. And Dave, her dad, was the founding and longtime executive director of the Yogi Berra Museum and Learning Center on the campus of Montclair State University in New Jersey. When I first booked Dave and Emily for an interview, it was because I specifically wanted to talk to them about Emily's bat mitzvah and Yogi Berra's presence at it. If you're not familiar with Yogi Berra, the Cliff's Notes version is that he was a Hall of Fame baseball player, but perhaps more importantly, one of the game's most famous characters. 
to the point that he's viewed as an iconic sage, brimming with yogiisms, or specific wisdom that made yogi and Yoda feel like they could be interchangeable somehow. But what I didn't realize before our conversation was that Yogi Berra wasn't just at Emily's bat mitzvah. He was pretty much the whole reason it happened, because she wanted to have a party at the Yogi Berra Museum. Yogi Berra was such a presence in your life. Can you talk about Yogi being at your bat mitzvah? Well, firstly, we'll talk about the fact that how I got a bat mitzvah because we were pretty culturally Jewish. You know, both of my parents are Jewish. We celebrate the high holy days and Passover, but like we didn't go to temple. But when I was like 11 or 12, I pretty much told my parents, I want to go to Hebrew school because I want to have a bat mitzvah. Basically, I, I just wanted a party. I, I'm pretty sure. Do you remember? What's your recollection of his dad? Yeah, that, that was pretty much it. We, we were shocked. <laughs> like, like, this girl hasn't done a word of Hebrew in, you know, 11 years. Now, all of a sudden, she wants a bat mitzvah. So Yeah, so we had the bat mitzvah, the temple that my, forced my parents to join. And then for a reception, my dad ran the Yogi Berra Museum and Learning Center. And they had incredible exhibits teaching about not only the history of baseball, but the values that Yogi represented, which was sportsmanship and respect and inclusion. Um, but my favorite thing about the Yogi Bear Museum and Learning Center was that it had a great theater, um, which is perfect to put a DJ in to play Coke and Pepsi. So that's where the kids' party was. Um, and my recollections of my abutments were also my dad just standing there with his arms crossed like a guard in front of a new exhibit that they installed because he was scared the Richmond boys were going to run into it. Those Reichman brothers were really a uh, little acting a little wild. They always are. They always were. They still are if you're listening, Jake and Dave. What I love about this story is that it takes some of the more modern knocks on American bar and bat mitzvah culture, that it's just for the party, and flips it on its head. Yes, Emily had ideas for using the Yogi Berra Museum for a bat mitzvah party. But in the process, she got Yogi Berra to synagogue for the service. Yogi, being a good family friend, was invited. Um, and Dad, did he show up to the service? He was He was absolutely at the service. Remember, he was signing autographs. Jeez, <laughs> oh, that's embarrassing. Yeah, he was wearing his Tommy Bahama. He was signing autographs for anyone who asked. And uh, Yogi was a mensch. I mean, he really was. My favorite Yogi piece was, you know, he loved my wife. He loved Naomi's matzo ball soup. Naomi is Dave's wife and Emily's mom. And um, he called it what you would call it soup. Because, you know, when you come in with a little head cold or something, hey, do you got any of your wife's uh, whatchamacallit soup? And it's just something that really made him feel feel good. So he was just, he was just a, you know, a lot of the older guys I got to know used to call him Yogala. He was almost like this, um, you know, honorary Jew in a way. Just a really, really good dude. Listeners, I have your back. Dave sent me both the bat mitzvah photo and the matzo ball soup recipe both of which I'd be happy to share. Because that's the point. Once you've attended a bat mitzvah or listened to a podcast about one, you too can be an honorary Jew. From honorary Jews to Jews of honor, or what happens when Sandy Koufax attends your bat mitzvah. When I was interviewing author Jane Levy about her book on Sandy Koufax, she told me about the interesting relationship she had built with Sandy over the course of reporting her biography of him. Jane says that Sandy never sat for an interview with her. He only agreed to confirm details she reported independently. But over the course of those many confirmation calls, 
the author and the pitcher developed a relationship, one that Jane's daughter wanted to leverage to get Sandy Koufax to attend her bat mitzvah in 2001. So being a, an overly indulgent Jewish mother, I told my daughter that she could invite anyone she wanted to her bat mitzvah. Comes back with a stack of envelopes, you know, as, you know, three feet high. And sure enough, in the middle was one for Sandy Koufax. And I went, oi, <laughs> no, please, no. So I called him up and I said, you know, you're going to get an invitation. You don't have to come. I understand completely how you feel about being, you know, in the middle of a, a group of 200 Jews of a certain age, all of whom want to be in the same picture as Sandy Koufax. And he said, oh, no, I'll be there for Emma. Because after all, I'm the guy that's kept her mother away from her for the last three years. And damned if he wasn't the first guy to arrive. And I see this horde of Jews of a certain age come through the temple doors. And I grabbed him by his, you know, impeccable blue blazer and dragged him into the rabbi's study. And I brought a bag of balls because I knew that still to this day, you know, Sandy Koufax is most himself and most comfortable with a baseball in his hand. And so I say, oh, Sandy, Emma's got really big hands, just like, just like yours. And she does, um, not as big, but proportionally. I said, she could, she could throw your curveball. So he looks at Emma with his big smile and says, oh, Emma, show me your curveball. Now Emma's ready to kill me because Emma, of course, doesn't have a curveball. And so she takes it and she starts to show, you know, the typical way of throwing curveball, which is to make your wrist break at the end of it with a sort of whoosh. And he says, oh, no, you might want to try it my way, because instead of breaking your wrist like that, where you can cause too much torque on your wrist and on your elbow, it's really a chop. And um, the rabbi to this day tells the story of the day Sandy Kovacs was in his study and corrected daughter and the bar mitzvah boy who insisted that he knew how to carve ball better than Sandy. So yes, he did come. And one of the things that was most amazing about it was, you know, he didn't stay for the party. And the people are like, where's Sandy? Where's Sandy? Sandy left because he knew that wherever he goes, he is the magnet. He's the spotlight will be on him. And he doesn't want to detract from Emma's special day. So Sandy Koufax came and talked curveballs with Jane's daughter and the other kid who was having his bar mitzvah at the same time. What's wild about this is that Mark Tracy, one of the editors of the book Jewish Jocks, was at the synagogue that day. Tracy, who's now a New York Times culture reporter, was there for the bar mitzvah boy, a family friend. When I asked Mark a generic question about sports bar mitzvahs in our interview, I literally, accidentally, got a second source for Jane's story. So I have been to a bar mitzvah in which Sandy Koufax was there in the sanctuary. It was not sports themed, but in a way that's even cooler, right? I mean, first of all, so cool. And also in like the most incredible like Jewish geography play, I obviously interviewed Jane for this podcast and she told this story. John, whose bar mitzvah it was, you know, the other kid, right? Our friend got to meet Sandy Koufax because he was the other kid having his bar mitzvah. And, you know, Sandy Koufax, who knows if they talked curveballs or, or whatnot, probably not. But um, I, I mean, I remember seeing him 
sitting there because obviously I, I knew to look for him because again we also knew the other family Jane Levy's family yeah no so I was there too And with that, we have now fulfilled our contractually obligated Sandy Koufax story for this episode. It's kind of an inside joke on our show that we have attended more bar mitzvahs than anybody in the history of sports. That's TV broadcaster Ernie Johnson Jr. again. As I mentioned earlier, Ernie is not Jewish, but he's deeply rooted in the traditions of sports. His dad was a Major League Baseball player and longtime Atlanta Braves broadcaster. And for more than 30 years, Ernie has been the host of TNT's popular and award-winning studio sports show, Inside the NBA. I think it's because of the nature of our show, which is pretty freewheeling, and we have a good time. We've had friends who said, hey, I have a bar mitzvah coming up, man. If you guys could just talk about my son, here's what his favorite sports are, here's his favorite player, here's what he likes to do in school, et cetera, et cetera, and just kind of build him up. And, and so we would do that. And I can't tell you how many times we've had requests to do that. And so like, we'll finish doing a halftime show and then the producer will say, hey, we need to record something. Here's the information and you guys go. And, and have enjoyed every bar mitzvah I've had the uh, opportunity to attend. I wanted to talk to Ernie about the bar mitzvah I mentioned at the opening of the show, the one I attended in 2000, where the exact same kind of message he just explained played for all of the bar mitzvah's guests. It was important for me to talk to Ernie about this memory because I don't want you to think that sports bar and bar mitzvahs are only for professional sports people, because they're not. There are so many Jewish kids out there who love sports, who never go pro in sports, whose parents don't work in sports, but who have chosen sports as a family love language. The bar mitzvah boy featured in that Ernie Johnson video we've been talking about was Ben Kaplan. He's unrelated to Emily and Dave, just another Jewish Kaplan. Ben is now 35, with two kids of his own. And here he is, in his own words, describing the Inside the NBA video that played for everyone at his bar mitzvah party more than two decades ago. It was Ernie, Penny, George Carl, and Peter Vesey. They were talking about me, 13-year-old Ben Kaplan, skipping the rest of junior high and high school to go to the NBA. And, you know, George Carl talked about how I was good, I was young. I think at one point he said, that I was a little bit of a ball hog, which at the time I certainly was. So like kids on my team started cheering, which didn't feel great. But the best part about it was Peter Vesey did his Peter Vesey thing. <laughs> and he said, I got three words, random drug testing. And then obviously didn't catch this <laughs> on the first viewing, but the camera pans out, the panelists are kind of chuckling and Kenny looks at Peter Vesey and he goes, you're a sick, sick man. <laughs> that was Definitely the highlight. To 13-year-old Ben, this video of the cast of Inside the NBA talking about him was magic. And the person behind that magic was his dad, Jimmy. The next day, it was where he explained how it all happened. So he called some local Chicago people and just asked them to leave a voice message on his answering machine. And I think so many people were saying yes that, uh, to use basketball terms, he thought it was time for a heat check. So he called Turner 
Um, I'm pretty sure if I remember the story correctly, he just left a message, got a call back from Ernie. And then not too long after he was at his office and he got a shipment and there was a package from Turner and he opened it up and there was a VHS inside. And he said that he immediately had to go home and watch whatever was on that video because he knew he wouldn't be able to focus on work for the rest of the day. This story easily could have ended 22 years ago, but it doesn't. A 20-second time out here to talk about Ernie Johnson. Ernie is a man of faith. Every email he sends has a form signature that says, trust God, period. A message that comes after the emoji of a hand forming I love you in American Sign Language. Yes, Ernie is an expert on basketball and in TV broadcasting, but he's also an expert in something else, something bigger, the relationship between fathers and sons and how to prioritize the special love between them above all else, especially life's challenges. When I had a chance to talk to Ernie the day before our recorded interview, I realized how important it was to bring him and Ben together. I was the youngest of our three kids. I have two older sisters. So I really didn't get to see my dad play Major League Baseball much. I was three years old when he retired. But I hung out in the broadcast booth with him for years and years and years as he did Braves games. And so I had this dream upbringing, tagging along with my dad to work. He taught me everything I needed to know about being a husband, a father, a professional. Nothing will ever top the opportunity I had to work with my dad and sit shoulder to shoulder with him and call Braves games for back in the 90s. We had this wonderful relationship, and that has always been near and dear to me. Anything I can ever do which accentuates the father-son relationship and shines a light on that, I will try to do. This past summer, my agent gave me an email outlining a few appearances I had coming up. And just kind of as an aside, said, oh, and one other thing. I got this email from a man named Ben Kaplan, has a favor he'd like from you. So I, I read what he had to say when he painted the details of it and said, I'd like to repay my dad for doing that for me. Well, he had me right then. You know, Ben's dad is going through cancer treatments. I've had cancer twice. When you have it, there comes with it a responsibility and an opportunity to help the next person through it. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with folks I've never met who have reached out to me and said, hey, I got a buddy who's about to start chemo. Can you give him a call? Sure. Because I think that's our opportunity and our responsibility. And so Ben's request was hitting on two fronts. Let's celebrate this father-son bond. So it's, it's hitting on the father-son and it's hitting on the, you know, help the next person through cancer. So sure, I'll do that for sure. I've, got, <laughs> I've gotten messages from Jim, Ben's dad. You know, he's in the infusion chair. He's got this great attitude. And it's like, this is really cool. And this is why we're here. Man, just sitting back and saying, look what this son wants to do for his dad 22 years later and asking me to be part of that. When you reached out to me and you're saying, hey, do I remember doing this bar mitzvah tape? And I said, hold it. Are you talking about Ben Kaplan? And I was, the whole thing just blew me away. There are God winks and then there are God winks where it's like, wow. And I have trouble putting putting it into words, but it's but it's been powerful and good for the soul. 
I asked Ben how hearing those words from Ernie made him feel. Yeah, <clears throat> well, it raises up a lot of emotions that I try not to bring up a lot because they're difficult on one hand, but they're also really happy. You know, you bring up the pennants on my wall and you know, you can't see the books on my bookshelf, but they're all basketball books for the most part. And it's just been a huge part of my life. And like a lot of the friendships that I really value were through basketball. Like some of the best times I have even today are playing pickup basketball. Probably above all of that are the best times I have had with my dad have revolved around basketball. Either, you know, him taking me to games or watching my games or calming me down after my games. And then, you know, after college, when that time my dad had bowl season tickets, so we went to a ton of games in like the early 2010s, ton of bowls games together. And that just became our way to to spend time together. Just the two of us go to a game, go get dinner beforehand. The basketball wasn't always good. So the father-son bond really had to compensate. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. We, (laughs) We, you know, we'd have to converse through the games. It's not like the game was necessarily capturing our attention the entire time. You know, my dad was diagnosed um, a little over a year ago. So when it came time for his birthday, I was like, I need to do something meaningful for him. And it just, for whatever reason, I don't think it was conscious. I just reflected back on one of the more meaningful things he did for me. You know, I knew about the fact that Ernie had dealt with cancer several times in his life. And I thought that maybe he would be able to deliver something inspiring and kind of bring that moment full circle and create this moment that I didn't have the words to be able, you know, it it expresses something in that father-son relationship that we've shared throughout the years that I probably didn't have the words to be able to explain without letting something do that explaining for us. It's a little on the nose, but it's still worth saying. When Ben's dad, Jimmy, wanted to say I love you to Ben when Ben was 13, it was through Ernie Johnson. And when Ben was 35 and wanted to say I love you back, it was also through Ernie Johnson. This one story shows the power of sports in intergenerational conversations between parents and kids. And in this case, Ernie Johnson was the literal embodiment of the I love you ASL hand emoji in his own email signature. And that expression, that conversation, would have never happened without Ben's bar mitzvah. As I tried to put this episode together, I honestly struggled to emulate the feeling of a bat mitzvah, a feeling of community among Jews, but connection outside of that community, to tell a powerful story about what the rituals of Judaism and the rituals of sports mean to us. In this moment, I don't know, I felt like there was a lot of pressure to get it right, to represent our joy and our meaning and our rituals correctly. I've talked to a lot of sports figures and fans for this series, but it seemed to me that for this conversation, I needed a rabbi. So I chatted with Rabbi Erez Sherman of Sinai Temple in L.A., who in true rabbinical fashion found me. He had invited me onto his podcast, Rabbi on the Sidelines, and I wanted to set up a home and home so you could all hear directly from him. On the day of our first recording, I told him I wanted to talk about the intersection of sports and B'nai Mitzvot. By our second recording, one week later, he had a story he was eager to tell me 
that he felt had emerged by fate, just in time for our conversation. I was visiting somebody that is unfortunately very ill and uh, only has weeks to live. And we talked about sports in that time to uplift his spirits. And he said, I want to tell you the story of my bar mitzvah. And he said he was from Baltimore and he invited all the Baltimore Orioles to his bar mitzvah by hand. It was 1980. And there was one Jewish player. His name is Steve Stone, Cy Young Award winner in 1980. And he said, invite everybody. And they said, no, thanks. No, thanks. And he got to Steve Stone. And his father called in a radio show and his dad said, I want to talk to Steve Stone. I said, oh, the show's over. But if you give me your phone number, Steve Stone will call you collect. And so Steve Stone called his father collect. And he's like, come to my son's bar mitzvah. And he's like, no, come Saturday morning. No, come Saturday night. It'll be really party. No, come Sunday. We're having a brunch and baseball. No. And he sent him a letter saying like, mazel tov, but, and also tell your dad to behave himself. That was 1980. And then I said, well, where's Steve Stone today? And he said, he's a Chicago White Sox broadcaster. And I said, that's crazy. Let me call Jason Benetti and see if we can have Steve Stone call this man literally with weeks to live. The way that it lifted his spirit saying, I can't believe you reached Steve Stone. He's going to call me like in the next day. And Steve's like, yeah, of course I'm going to do that. What did you think when one of the things that he wanted to talk to you about was his bar mitzvah? So I knew this man through his daughter. And I've been teaching his daughter for years, and I knew nothing about this man's spiritual or life of faith. The connection was through sports. We've been sitting for the last week on his couch talking about sports and the Phillies and the Orioles and all these just fun things where he's also asking these questions. What do I tell my daughter when she's not here? And he's writing to me, you're my friend eternally. And the fact that it was the bar mitzvah that connected us um, in that moment. It was obviously a seminal moment for him. And I said, this is crazy because like, I've been thinking all week about sports and bar mitzvah story. And you just told me this story. And the fact that it's now 30 something years later and it's stuck with him. And that made an experience of faith where sometimes in America, that's not the most exciting. It's probably one of the most awkward moments of a young person's life. But sports raised it to a level that like, he could actually relate to it. And I think that's what sports environment does. Most 12-year-olds, when I ask them, what are you passionate about? And they sit in front of my desk as a bar bat mitzvah. I can boil it down to art, ballet, and sports. And ballet can probably be involved in sports. And I say, okay, then what does that mean to you as a 13-year-old? Why do you like it? And I say, I love the competition. I love the community. I love the meaningful interactions. I love the discipline of it. Each one of those you can throw right in the faith category. You see this as a really powerful tool. And I wonder if you can explain in your own words why you think that that's mattered and why you think that that has been so central to who you are as a rabbi. So sports is not an end to itself at all. If the Padres win or the Phillies win, it's not going to affect somebody's faith. Is that really important? As my father is also a rabbi says, at the end of the day, it's just the game until it's more than a game. And I think faith allows it to be more than a game, meaning it uses the concepts of what sports can teach us in order to see those parallels within our own lives. And I asked my father, who was also a rabbi, who played basketball at Yeshiva University, who combined those in his life, and that's a big piece of why I do what I do. I said, does sports matter? Is sports just? And he said, absolutely. And it's because just also as sports is unfair to the winner and the loser, 
life is also often unfair. But as we also know, it's how you practice. It's not just how you play, but it's also what you do after you play that game that is equally as important of what it means to happen on the court. And so if something can happen from those moments on the court that make the world better tomorrow, then I'll take sports any day along with that faith. As one might expect from a rabbi, these reflections were profound. But I also wanted to know from Rabbi Sherman the answer to a much simpler question, to confirm my hunch about bar and bat mitzvah ceremonies themselves. That it's not just that sports make up the themes of parties or are the inspiration for Mazel Tov shout-out videos. Sports also can provide a more explicitly religious purpose for this occasion, through Devar Torahs, bar mitzvah speeches. In the bar and bat mitzvahs that you have officiated, how many Devar Torahs have been about sports? I honestly would say about 50% of the kids talk about an experience on a field, on a court, on a mat that impacted them. But when they tell me that story, I said, that's not enough. Now you're going to go deeper. And there's two ways of doing a Devar Torah. You can go find something in the portion that's going to mean something to that event, or you can find something in the event that you're going to tie to the Parsha. And so what is the, and again, everybody can say, oh, I used to dribble with my right hand. Now I dribble with the left and I got through adversity and that was great. So, okay, but what did that matter to you? And what does it matter to the team? What does it matter to the larger community? And so, yes, 50%, literally 50% might be telling a story about sports. But what does it mean as an athlete, as a young person in America, in a faith community that you can then take as a life lesson off that court into these walls and then eventually take them outside, outside of the walls as well? Ultimately, it's hard to explain as a Jewish kid what being Jewish even means or why it matters. Sports bar mitzvahs are a way of showing, not telling. It's also hard for parents to tell their 13-year-old kids that they love them in a way that feels commensurate to that specific moment. And yet Judaism is what even gives us that unique opportunity. I only have a two-year-old, but I can imagine the challenge of being a parent of a bar mitzvah, fully expressing your feelings about a kid who is old enough for you to be filled with pride about who they are becoming, but still young enough where your heart is full of so much hope for who they will be. And of course, balancing that desire to shower your kid with love against the reality of your kid being 13 and embarrassed by everything you do. Luckily for us, we have the antidote for that. Mazel tov videos of sports celebrities, perfectly configured rooms at the Yogi Berra Museum, and Sandy Kovacs appearances. There's something about sports that gives us family tradition and conversation, connects us to childlike magic and hope, while also teaching us that for every W, we might also have to take an L. As we confront the biggest tests of our lives, maybe we don't only want to hear from a rabbi about God. Maybe we want to talk to him about the Phillies and finally connect with Steve Stone, or be inspired by an Ernie Johnson cell phone video. Ben Kaplan said something to me when we were talking with Ernie about fathers and sons, a lesson he learned from his dad, and it reminded me of what is true of all of us. One of the things my dad used to say to me when I was little was, you didn't come with an instruction manual. I was upset 
and he offered something and it didn't quite calm me down or whatever it might be. Like, hey, you didn't come with an instruction manual. I'm trying my best here. But the deeper level to that is that, you know, he didn't have a great relationship with his father. And, you know, as we talk about this video that he got for me and then the thing I did looked directly to his example. And the fact that he was able to give me such a great example about being a good person and how to treat people, the fact that he was able to do that without really having a father to guide him and the head start that it gave me with all the lessons that he taught me uh, is something that I certainly don't take for granted. None of us come with an individual user's manual, but as I think about what the rituals of Judaism and the traditions of sports give us, it's a cultural roadmap for how to be. In our families, in our Jewish communities, and in our American communities writ large. And that's certainly something to celebrate. L'chaim. Next on The Franchise, a conversation on identity and what it means when we apply the principles of Jewish geography to the world of sports, whether athletes claim their Jewish identities or not. I'm Meredith Shiner, and I'll see you next time. The Franchise is a podcast from Tablet Studios. The show is written and hosted by me, Meredith Shiner. Our executive producers are Josh Cross, Stephanie Butnick, and Liel Leibovitz. The show is produced, engineered, and edited by Josh Cross, Robert Scaramuccia, and Quinn Waller, with help from Ellie Blyer. Our logo is by Kurt Hoffman. Special thanks to Tablet Magazine and the Tablet Studios team, including Tanya Singer, Courtney Hazlett, Sara fredman Ader, and Jerome Rusquet and the Meredith Shiner team of Josh and Carter Zembic. Please rate and review us wherever you can listen to podcasts. And if you've enjoyed this series, tell a friend. You can write to us at franchise at tabletmag.com. And for more information about the show, check out tabletmag.com slash the franchise. For more from Tablet Studios, please visit tabletmag.com slash podcasts. Me, 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 me.